So, the big news. By the time this episode comes out, I will have had my second shot of the vaccine. Yeah, you know what that means. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of things I could say, none of which I want to say on recording. Cayman's going to be back to licking doorknobs, back to kissing strangers, probably going to just go to a bunch of things that I never would have gone to before COVID. You can start sniffing strangers' hair again. I know that was your favorite thing to do. <laughs> I just want to be near other people and breathe heavily. <sighs> I mean, I've been licking doorknobs for months and, uh, you know, Cayman, it's been great. Yeah. Oh, because you've been vaccinated. I've been for a vaccinated. While. Yeah. Michael, are you? Have you uh, started your? I'm half vaccinated. You're you're halfway. Catch me down at the movie theater watching Godzilla versus Kong if it's still in theaters. Just eating all of the floor popcorn. Cayman, you know you're supposed to wait yeah. two weeks after the second shot, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, just to be sure. fair, once this episode comes out, I've had the shot and it'll be a week, so it'll be like a week after that. So if you see Cayman out on the streets. <laughs> mouth kiss him passionately yeah <laughs> yeah everyone gets a free mouth kiss i should probably clear that by my wife first but <laughs> hello and welcome back to another episode of i really wish you hadn't hosted by me cayman mcmahan my co-host michael bentley I really wish you hadn't back. All right. <laughs> and of course, as always, our super producer, our own personal Lou Pearlman, Colin Moore. I uh, I do not want to be. <laughs> I don't want that comparison. Yeah. You're Lou Pearlman now. No, no, thank you. That's you. You, are, you, you make the money happen, baby. <laughs> you're, you're, you're big papa. You're big papa. If I'm, if I'm supposed to be bringing the money flowing, I'm doing a real bad job of it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then we'll we'll demote you to medium, Papa. See, this is the problem, Colin. We need you to start a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> it's fine, guys. I got I got an idea. Okay. Well, yes. I mean, and and it doesn't sound that crazy. It's like Uber is kind of the same thing, right? But with cars, like we're gonna uh -huh. have a company that okay. takes people from point A to point B, but we don't own anything. Okay. I love it. That's that it. is Uber. Yeah, that's Uber. But I you feel just like Uber. I feel like Uber's okay, right? <laughs> Helicopters. <laughs> We we let we say bring your own helicopter, you shuttle people, and then we take a cut of the profits. <laughs> yeah, I like Dude, this. Yeah, is, but, this well, could work. I like but this. you get to dodge the taxes. Exactly. Yeah, but you're right. not an employee though. You're not an employee. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> this is awesome. All right. So sorry guys, podcast's over. We got to go start a business. Heli Uber. We're gonna call it Hella Uber. <laughs> no, that just Hella. Like a lawsuit. Hella. Hella. Oh, that's that's very modern. That's good. Cause it's, cause it's like Uber, like something's like Uber cool, but someone's hella cool also. But for some reason, since it is modern, the first H will be lowercase. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. all as long case. as we all agree with that. And our logo is just, it just looks like the top of propeller blades and that's it. Oh, right. in the shape of an H. <laughs> how could propeller blades be I'm an H? I'm not sure how we're Like maybe, that. maybe, maybe like a top down view of a helicopter, but it's blades are forming an H. We're giving away all of our good ideas on the podcast. Yeah, we're going to have to cut a lot of this. <laughs> all right, anyway, let's talk yeah. about Lou Pearlman. You guys want to talk about Lou Pearlman? No. I've been waiting really. to talk about Lou Pearlman all week. Not particularly, but I guess we're going to. Yeah, well, <laughs> we are. You guys don't have an option. So, Great. 
to recap last episode, uh, Lou has just rose to prominence as an airline mogul, and he's already started his Ponzi scheme. He's selling shares of this company that really doesn't own anything. His his airlines are pretty much a fraud. I you say that they're they're they're. It seems like they're legit. They just use a lot of tax loopholes. There's enough of a business. Well, there's he's selling shares of this transcontinental business. Well, but I mean, that's what I was just saying. Can you buy shares in Uber? Is it publicly traded? I mean, says if you could buy shares in Uber, regardless, it's kind of the same thing, right? I mean, it, it is kind of the same thing, except, uh, you know, it, here's the here's the problem, right? When you buy shares on a stock exchange, all of those businesses are publicly traded, right? Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. get to see all of their financials. It's all public. Whereas Lou, if, if you're asking, like, well, where's the fraud? It's that he's saying, look, this is a sound investment that's backed up by the FDIC. Um, he goes on to say that it's backed up by Lloyd's of London, which is a massive bank. None of these things are true. He's telling people, you know, I own hundreds of airplanes, which he doesn't. Like, he's lying gotcha. okay. to convince people right. to give him money. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, that's a fraud. So, he does have a business, but also there's the EISA, the, the employee uh, something savings account. That was the thing that he said was backed up by the FDIC last yes. episode. Yes. yes. That's the thing that's backed up by the FDIC, allegedly. But really, he's just taking all of this money and using it to keep the rest of his businesses afloat. It's a standard Ponzi scheme where you take the money of later investors and use it to pay early in- earlier investors to say, like, oh, here's here's the interest that, that you've built. But really, it's, you know, that money's been long since spent. Your money's gone. Right. And I believe when we left off last episode, he was using those that wealth that he had amassed to buy young boys and make them dance. Yes. <laughs> yes. He, he invited 40 young boys over to his house and he said, dance monkey. Um, so he just started the backstreet boys as came and alluded to. And that's kind of where we are now. Uh, this is a huckster that, uh, has just employed, uh, young boys. Anyway, <laughs> it's as weird as it. it sounds. Yeah. It's, there's no easy way to put it. So, Lou has this new heartthrob group called the Backstreet Boys. The issue is he needs a buyer, right? He needs somebody to employ them. He needs a record label, essentially. Uh, Lou has dumped $3 million of his own money. Well, and I say his own money, really his investor's money. Uh, Lou's dumped $3 million into vocal coaches, choreographers, and pretty much anything the boys wanted. Essentially, Lou, because remember from the last episode, Lou started living this lavish lifestyle early on, even though, you know, he might have not. He's always living above his means to appear as if he's way better off than he actually is, because his thought process is if I look like I'm wealthy, people will believe I'm wealthy and they will invest in me. I think that's actually how it works. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great (laughs) idea if you're not committing fraud. But essentially, he wants to do that same thing with the Backstreet Boys. He says, you know, if you guys can live a rock star lifestyle, people will look at you and say, oh, they must be awesome and successful, right? And I want to go to their concert. But even through all of this money that he's spending, they're struggling to find a label. Nobody's really interested in this, like, super clean content, right? This is the era of grunge. This is Nirvana. This is Eminem. Like, rap is getting big, N.W.A., that might have been a little earlier. Right, but what are the 12, 12-year-old 12 young white girls supposed to listen to? <laughs> Nirvana, dude. Uh, <laughs> Kurt Cobain was a, was a heartthrob. And I only say that because I'm thinking back to like when I was young and like my sister and all of her friends were 
insane about like Backstreet Boys. Yeah. So. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, that's the whole business idea. And so they actually did convince one uh, record label manager, like, this is going to be the next thing. And he was like, yeah. He compared it. He was like, look, you guys literally just brought me a Brinks truck full of money to my doorstep. Like, this is going to blow up. Um, and they were like, okay, awesome. We found we found the guy. Um, but the whole deal fell through because he also represented John Cougar Mellencamp. And John Cougar Mellencamp said, if you sign a boy band, I'm walking. Like, I will not be represented by the same label that has the Backstreet Boys on it. Good guy, John Mellencamp. Also, I'm not sure if you're supposed to call him John Cougar Mellencamp, because he was John Cougar, and then he started using his real name, which was John Mellencamp. Does he use all three now? Yeah, I'm pretty sure on a lot I'm of stuff. I'm pretty sure he uses all three. It's John Cougar Mellencamp? Yeah. yeah. And it's how it was written in the book. And what I love is in the book, they make the little like tongue in cheek joke. They, they, they're like, Oh yeah, John Cougar Mellencamp kind of bombed the deal. And then it says, ain't that America? (laughs) Oh, that's That's good. So with the American music industry, not really ready for the boy band craze, uh, the Backstreet Boys did what everyone does when they can't entertain in America. And they went elsewhere. They basically flew to, to Germany and, they they toured the world. They went on, you know, they sold out shows in Canada, sold out shows in China, I want to say, somewhere in yeah. Asia. And they regularly released number one hits and platinum singles in Austria and Germany. This is something that I found out, like, when I was in college, because I think it's really neat. There's a lot of bands, like, in the U.S. that are, like, mildly popular. Like, mm-hmm. one in, like, five people might know who they are or something like that. Right. But, like, they go and tour in other countries and they're, like, the biggest thing in the other yeah. country. Like, uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Do you know that band? It's like a rock band. Yeah, but I think of them as, like, C-listers. Yeah, but, like, in Japan, like, they're massive. They're huge. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, like, I'd say it's mostly because it's rare that, like, a popular American band does a world tour. So if they can get an American band to come over, like, people are going to lose their minds for it. Plus, I just imagine, like, our concerts are bigger and better than, like, European yeah, concerts. Yeah, especially a boy band concert. Dude, if I could go back and see, like, one of these boy bands in their prime, like, I would absolutely do it. Like, they I'm put sure on a show. I'm sure you could just go see, like, what's, what's uh, that? BTS. Uh, BTS. BTS. Yeah. Just go to a BTS concert. Yeah, but I'm not interested in BTS, right? No, you wouldn't be interested in, in like, NSYNC either back then. At that time, but now I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. You can do that now. You just don't want to. (laughs) Exactly. But the plan was always for Backstreet to make their return, right? This is just to build up Groundswell. They're going to make it in America. It's time for Backstreet to come back. All right? Wait, what? So they just... Backstreet's back... This is the joke I'm trying to make. But, but anyway, so they released yeah. they, they released that song. So and far. that What? That's the second time you've done that this podcast. Okay, anyway, it, no, I said uh, I really wish you hadn't back all right. Uh-huh. Was, yeah, yeah. Right. You've, yeah, you've so. made the joke twice. I'm just keeping a counter. We'll see if it comes up again. Uh, okay. uh I don't think so. We'll see. But anyway, the the point is that song comes out, right? Uh-huh. Like that's why I'm referencing it. Um that song I, I mean obviously is a massive hit. It hits number 1 yeah. on the US charts and you know, what's funny is people were like, back back from what? This is their first hit. But they didn't know, like, oh, they've actually been popular elsewhere. And now they're coming back to America. And that's kind of like the point of the song. But that literally, they're like, this is a new band saying that they're back. <laughs> but anyway, it didn't matter. People loved it. Girls loved it. Families loved it. Backstreet was back. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
So every American girl started to have the Backstreet Boys poster in their rooms. Like, you know, they, they are the next big thing. Yeah. And this is when Lou starts to see the money come rolling in. And what happens next happens one of two ways, depending on who you talk to. Uh, one of them is borderline genius. Uh, the other is incredibly petty, depending on how this actually went down. So the, the way that this is genius goes like this. Lou starts thinking, you know, I did this pretty easily, right? I, I met with new kids on the block, saw that they were just a group of young boys who were singing and dancing, and I put together a group. Like, th there was not, like, it was hard, and I spent a lot of money, but, like, anyone could do this. So somebody's going to come along and do it again, and they're going to take my business from me. So who better to rip me off than me? I should start a second boy band. To compete with the first boy exactly. band. Exactly. So so that's 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 way one that this happens, right? That's yeah. his like, you know. Way number two is allegedly Lou wrote a song that he wanted the Backstreet Boys to perform, uh, but they rejected the idea and said like, no, we're not going to do that. So he got really angry and decided, well, if you're not going to do my song, I'll go make another band. that will do my song. My, my song's pretty good. <laughs> Either way, Lou starts working on putting together a second group to compete with the Backstreet Boys. You know what? I honestly think that the first way is more believable. And let me tell you why. Cause I think that Lou Pearlman started Backstreet Boys completely legitimately Mm -hmm. And it got really successful. And he was like, that was, that was easy. I should monopolize the market so that it's <laughs> a business model that I'm more used to. I should exactly. make this sketchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to, he didn't want to run a band. He wanted to run a label. And that's the thing is like, right. he, he, he's turning Transcon into a, um, into an entertainment business. So like, yeah, he doesn't want a band. He wants a group of bands. So there was a guy that barely missed the cut of being in Backstreet. So he calls him up and he's like, hey, look, I'm putting another band together. Would really be interested in you in you joining. So he signs him on board. He knows about this kid who used to be on uh, the Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, yeah. He calls him up and he's like, hey, starting a band. I don't know if you're interested. So he, he gets him on board. And basically, like, he kind of puts this band together from references because, like, his, like, recording engineer knows a guy who then says, oh, I've got a buddy who I can bring in. So they, they put together five guys pretty quickly because now Luke can say, look, I did Backstreet. Like, yeah. if you want to succeed, come with me. So, like, before he had to do these auditions, like, it was a big deal. But now he's like, look, we're we're going to make it, right? You want to be in Backstreet too? Exactly. <laughs> and that's that's the thing is, like, it was not hard to get people to sign on. Yeah. Anyway, so he gets these five guys together, brings them over, uh, and, you know, they, for their first song, they harmonize the Star Spangled Banner. And one of their moms was there, and after they got done singing, like, apparently everybody's jaws were on the floor. Like, they were like, oh my god, this is so good. And the mom, one of the moms, like, looked directly into the camera and said, that singing was perfectly in sync. God. I hate that name. I hate that name. I think it's pretty NSYNC bad. is so bad. It's pretty bad. It's so bad. It sounds like it sounds like a high school like the the like B choir that does like pop songs. It's like a like a what do you call those? Glee club. It sounds like a high school glee club. Get a better yeah. name and sing. Well, Boom. well, here's the thing is like Lou, I think Lou had a lot of influence on the names cuz he 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 has a band and we'll talk about them a little bit later called Innocence, but it's 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 the word innocence, but sense is spelled like like your senses. Um, yeah. 
It's like it's it's late 90s, early 2000s trash. Like that's just what people did. Yeah. He should have named him something like Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee Boys. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's... but then that would have been taken for uh, for these days. What would for, what would just current Justin Timberlake yeah. and the Tennessee what Boys? What would current Justin Timberlake be called? <laughs> He'd have to change his name. <laughs> Timberlake and the Temptones. Also, you know Joey Vatone would not be happy. Joey Fat One. Was Joey Vatone in NSYNC? He was, wasn't he? Yeah. I don't know which ones were in which band. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Okay. So, <laughs> so Lou does the same thing that he did with the Backstreet Boys. He moves all these guys into a house, starts training them up, gets some vocal lessons, dancing lessons, everything. Makes them dance for him? Yes. Well, and that's the thing is we'll, we'll get into this a little bit in After Notes, but like they would like be dancing. And he'd be like, all right, boys, take your shirts off. I w- want to see your abs. Like he's like, we we gotta get you in. Uh, we gotta get you in all the girl magazines. I gotta make sure you're in good shape. Get those shirts off, boys. I hate that. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. Oh, please I don't hate I- that a Col- lot. Colin, please don't isolate that audio. <laughs> <laughs> isolating it, putting it on Instagram. It's <laughs> happening. Get those shirts off, boys. Uh, <laughs> Just you talking to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can see those abs. Yeah, you in good shape. <laughs> So to keep his new band a secret from Backstreet, because that's the thing is he was like, you know, I don't want them to realize what I'm doing here. Um, he booked all their expenses under the code name B5. And I really wanted to know why B5, like what that meant. But boy, five boys, B5, maybe. I don't know. It appears that Lou Perlman's spending a lot of money on checks, notes, B vitamins. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, he's in really bad health conditions. So, I mean, maybe he's taking a lot of vitamins. He should be. So, again, he goes out shopping for a label for these guys. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everyone is like, this is just a Backstreet ripoff. Like, no. Like, I mean, there's already Backstreet. Like, this market's already saturated. There's no room for another five-man boy band. It couldn't work again. Again? Of course not. So... Lou decided to do something completely unheard of, and uh, he shipped them to Europe to get massive and then bring them back to the United States. Uh, And again, they released hit after hit overseas and barely scratched the surface of the U.S. Like, they were not on the the charts at all. Um, That was until 1998 when Backstreet Boys were offered an opportunity to do a televised concert with Disney. And they had been touring, they were exhausted, and this was, like, another thing. And, you know, they had the option, and they're like, look, we've, we've done so much. Like, no, we're, we're not going to do it. Yeah. So Lou is like, oh, well, if you're not, guys aren't going to do it. Like, we don't want them to go somewhere else. And the, he went to Disney, and he's like, hey, guys, I've got this other band that's basically Backstreet Boys. They're really big overseas. <laughs> Maybe they could do it. And they're like, yeah, I mean, we just need somebody to fill the slot. If you got somebody else, just put them in there. So NSYNC did the concert. And that concert would air pretty much daily on the Disney Channel, um, which basically was all NSYNC needed to blow up. Like, now kids are seeing this concert every single day. NSYNC becomes, you know, their next big thing. It's actually kind of neat with them being on Disney, with NSYNC being on Disney, because Justin Timberlake was, of course, part of the Mickey Mouse Club. Which, fun fact, he was in the Mickey Mouse Club with Britney Spears and Ryan Gosling. Well, Britney Spears will come up again. Um, in this story, Ryan Gosling will not. So oh. <laughs> he was actually he was turned down for NSYNC. They they they, they auditioned him and they were like, mm, 
I'm just not cutting it. La La Land is a classic. I haven't seen Drive it. Drive is a classic. Very good thing, though. La La Land's uh, both, great. Both of those movies were aggressively all right. So, <laughs> now, you may be wondering, like, Backstreet is catching on, right? I mean, they, they, they're starting to realize what's going on here. So, obviously, they weren't too happy about it. Uh, but when they confronted Lou, he was like, look, boys, it's out of my hands, right? Uh, it's out of my control. But look, you're better than them. You've always been better than them. I picked you guys first. You're, you're the biggest <laughs> boy band in the world, right? All you got to do is outperform them. They're, they're, they're nothing, right? There's nothing I can do. I just started them and helped make their career popular. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But that's always the angle he pulled is like, ah, it's out of my hands, boys. It's the record label. <laughs> Cayman, you started a fire in the house. There's nothing I can do, Emily. Shut up. <laughs> it's it's already been hands. done. It's out of my control now. What, you want me to talk to the fire? Um, <laughs> but basically, he was using this anger to... to uh, he would redirect it to, to them, right? Like, oh, look at, look at what they're doing over there. Like, uh, you know, you, you're so much better than that. And basically, like, funneled that energy into, like, causing them to... Per- form against each other which you know brought them both higher in his eyes but you know he's he's manipulating them it's uh, right gaslighting essentially gaslighting isn't real you made that up because you're crazy <laughs> <laughs> Lou Perlman's never existed dude <laughs> he's a he's a fairy tale so that's kind of the entertainment news right like that's that's kind of how all that's going but remember he still has his whole airship empire um and it's kind of just hitting the back burner for lou it's not really a focus of his right um and you may remember from the last episode i mentioned julian bencher he was like lou's biggest investor right yeah and you know he's mostly in the airship business he has a little bit of stake in the in the entertainment stuff that lou's doing um but the airship business is really sinking right now and I say sinking. Crashing is probably the better term because by 1996, Airship International has crashed four blimps um, and the business is kind of drying up, right? Like the blimp came into your point. Like blimps are... Blimps are dumb. They they are are dumb. dumb. People are starting to catch on to that and they're kind of falling out of fashion. Like... I am anti-blimp till the day I die. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I understand it, but I disagree with it. Also, I feel like instead of saying that his airship business was crashing, you could just say like it was Hindenburging. Because like yeah. that's what it should be called. Because you don't really you don't really crash an airship. It just like falls. You could also say that it was uh a door dashing because you know, because they because they crashed that. Like DoorDash? God damn it. Oh like they, the food they delivery bring you food? service? I... They bring you food in the blimp? <laughs> they crash mean. a blimp in your you know, house and turn doable. it into that a can fireball. Bringing bring you food in the blimp would take a long time, it. but I hate it. Probably easier to use drones. So anyway, the airship business isn't doing very well, um, and so uh, payments to Bencher are going unpaid. Right, like he's he's owed, um, you know, money, and he's not getting it. I don't know why I had to elaborate on that. It's my money, and I need it now. Exactly. Um, and as such, Bencher's like, look, this this is uh, no longer a sound investment. I need my money out of here. Um, so he gives Lou his entire stake in his businesses in exchange for $2 million. Oh, I imagined he would have had like way more invested than that at this point. Well, again, he got in early. So, and 
it was one of those things where it was more important that he get his money and get out because he kind of sees the writing on the wall, right? Like he, the, the airships aren't going to continue, right? Like Lou is way too invested in this whole entertainment thing. And he's, he's not really interested in that business. Yeah. And people so, are literally writing on the wall, like F blimps, like cancel blimps, hashtag blimp days over. So he sees the writing on the wall. Gets out. Never mind. Nobody hates blimps like you. (laughs) When people see blimps, people smile. Blimps make people smile. Uh, I see. I see a. I see a blimp, and I frown hard enough that it like negates all the smiles that those blimps. I don't know why you. I don't know why you hate blimps. You haven't given me one good reason. They're slow. So a lot of things are slow. They're, they blow like, up. I hate, I hate bikes that don't have motors. They're so slow. All right. While y'all are doing this, I'm going to go get coffee. Actually, yeah, I actually do hate bikes. Here's my thing with bikes. If you're going to be on the road and you're going to have the same rights as a car on the road, then uh-huh. you have to follow the same rules. No, I, right? I believe in that. Okay. You don't ha- you don't get to like, one, I don't have to stay behind you going freaking 15, 20 miles an hour down the road. And then you go across on the sidewalk on the pedestrian thing because oh, i'm a bike no 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 i know they're not supposed to do that but you know they do it well we've all seen them do it right but Bikers but they're not the but they're not supposed to okay they're breaking the law they all break the law everyone who rides a bicycle breaks the law everyone who rides a bicycle is a degenerate this is still going yeah this is still going <laughs> If you ride a bicycle on the road, you you break laws. I think you're, I mean, not everyone who has ridden a bike on the road has broken a law. I, I understand that a lot of them are. I mean, are. I'm definitely stereotyping. You guys, you guys want to talk about, like, Lou Perlman, maybe? This is ridiculous. Sure. <laughs> so, shortly after uh, Bencher makes his agreement to get out of Lou's businesses, uh, he meets with Vollenkemper. Remember, that is the German airship manufacturer slash former Nazi Luftwaffe pilot. Yeah. Um, Reformed Nazi Luftwaffe pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Bencher, you know, all along, Lou's been like, yeah, we got this, we got this German guy over here. He's giving us a lot of money. He's, he's the majority owner of this. He's, he's all tied up in it. And he's a, he's a big name over in Germany. Like he's, he's a big deal and he's backing us all up. So this, this business is 100%. Is this how Lou Pearlman sounds, or is this just the voice that you've given him? Um, well, I mean, he was from New York. I, I'm embellishing it a little bit, but I, I feel like it's pretty close. Water. Water. Give me some coffee. Um, so anyway, uh, Venture meets with Vollenkemper. Um, and again, he's like, all right, this is the guy like behind Lou's entire enterprise. Um, yeah. And... You know, Lou, Lou had even given him documents, like, stating, like, okay, yeah, the majority shareholders, Volenkemper, like, he's the one backing all this. Like, it's not just, like, offhandedly. Like, this, this was the deal. Did they not have, like, shareholders meetings ever? Well, no, because it's so a private company. So would he have company. never meant that? So he's never met this dude, this other, like, well, major so, shareholder. So they had, they had met, but not in, like, a business sense. Like, they had, oh, like, okay. it was, a, they they had a personal like relationship. Right. Yeah. Um. So whenever Bencher like met with Volen, basically he just wanted to meet with Volenkemper. There was some money tied up somewhere, and Lou's like, "Yeah, Volenkemper's holding the money. Like you're gonna have to talk to." Well, he didn't even say you're gonna have to talk to him, but he was like, "Yeah, the reason you're not getting paid, that's all Volenkemper, man. That's not me." Um, so Bencher goes straight to Volenkemper. He's like, "Where's my money?" And and Volenkemper's like, "He's like, yeah, you know, I I've got money in Transcontinental. I need my money out." And Volenkemper's like, 
transcontinental. What is transcontinental? And he's like, what do you mean, what's transcontinental? He's like, I've never heard of that. What? And he's like, uh, hmm. What? And so in his head, he starts running through scenarios like I was doing in the last episode, like trying to put this all together. And he's like, you know, maybe Volenkemper's denying involvement because this is like the tax haven scheme. So he's like, oh, I've never heard of that. Like, yeah. So he's like, all right, yeah, maybe it's some kind of shady thing going on. Or maybe Volenkemper is just a lie so Lou can hide the fact that he owns so much of it so I can't go after him personally uh, for my money. Right. But it's it couldn't be that this is just a scam. This couldn't be like a like a, a Ponzi scheme. Like that's impossible. Yeah, I like to imagine the scenario in which he goes up to Volan Kimber and he's like, "Hey, yeah, like I'm trying to get my money out of Transcontinental." And Volan Kimber's like, "I don't know what that is." And he's like, "Yeah, I also don't know what that is." Wink, wink. And Volan yeah, Kimber's yeah. just like, "What the fuck?" Like, yeah, he's what? like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> then why are you here? Yeah. So anyway, regardless, Bencher is, he eventually gets his money and gets out. Like it takes him a while. He misses a lot of payments, but yeah. you know. This was a bad venture for Bencher. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Great point. And at this point, Bencher knows like he does, he might not know exactly what's going on, but whatever it is, it's shady and he wants out. So, Bencher kind of leaves. Should have been obvious at the beginning, but okay. Glad he got there. So, Bencher wasn't the only guy getting scammed? No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Backstreet Boys are getting their first paycheck, right? So, for years, they've been touring the world, selling millions in CDs, concert tickets, and merchandise, right? Yeah. Each member of the band received... For, for all of their work, for the years of dedication, and literally working every single day, uh, you want to guess what their take was? How many years have this been? How many years have they gone away without, like, getting checks? This, I, I want to say, so I know more about the NSYNC years served. Uh, so they got their first paycheck around year three. So I would say this is probably year around that, maybe four or five. It, I Jesus. Mean, they, we're talking years of work. It'd have to be, like, millions per per member that's like millions I mean, that's millions. what backstreet thought you want to guess what they actually got where did they actually get sixty thousand dollars that's awful they got their check for sixty thousand dollars that's really bad yeah well it, it gets worse but we'll, we'll get there wait like the whole band or like each member each, got a they check? each got sixty okay 000. yeah yeah that's still terrible. It's but. still awful. I mean, they millions. We're talking millions. Yeah. So Backstreet immediately sued. Now, their case was difficult due to the contracts that they signed. Because we're literally talking about children, right? Like, Lou yeah. comes in and he's like, hey, I got, you know, we're going to make a band. And they're like, all right, yeah, cool. Where do I sign? Um, so none of them read their agreement. Sounds about right. Yeah, and even if they were to be like, well, you know, I have a problem with this contract, then Lou would have been like, look, I got 40 people knocking down my door. If you don't want the contract, get out of my office, right? So they really didn't have an option. Where were the adults to, like, read their contracts with them? Well, the thing is, it's their parents. And I mean, you know, they're not contract lawyers, right? That's fair. Like, so so these contracts basically said, like, you know, th these guys are living... A lavish lifestyle, right? They get limos, they get hotels, they get plane rides, they get, you know, these lavish meals. But all of that was coming out of their paychecks. And they didn't know that, right? They thought that was just perks of the job. But all of that was being recouped oh. from their paychecks. 
I see. Also, as part of the contract, there were actually six members of the Backstreet Boys. Do you care to guess who that sixth member was? Lou, Lou Pearlman. Lou Pearlman, Backstreet Boy. God, that's going to be a fun one for trivia. Yeah. <laughs> who was the sixth, sixth member Backstreet of the Backstreet Boys? Boys? So their case was settled out of court, and basically Backstreet, again, because it was settled out of court, there's no hard details, but from from what most people understand, Backstreet essentially said, like, okay, we'll, we'll take nothing as long as we get out of this contract. Like... We'll, we'll, we'll accept the agreement of the contract, but, like, this is it. And so they got new management. And so they were free of Lou. Oh, so they, like, got their own. Like, they took the name and everything, and they were just out of there. Well, uh, yeah, and so th- it's different for NSYNC, so we'll, we'll, we'll get there soon. Um, but, but their management company also had to buy out Lou's stake in Backstreet. Because uh, last episode, I was actually have to do a correction. Because he was shares. Yeah, in the band. Yes. So I, I said last week that he was trying to, like, create shares for the band and, like, incorporate them, and I, I said I don't think that ended up working out. I was wrong about that. He incorporated all of his bands as companies, um, which is interesting. I don't know if anybody else does that, but um, all of his bands were technically businesses. I mean, that kind of makes sense because you're doing, like, sales, you're doing concerts. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense on paper. I, I just assumed all of that was done through, like, a record label or something. Yeah. But anyway, so his new management buys out Lou. Backstreet's free. They wash their hands. They're done. No more Lou Pearlman for them. Now, NSYNC obviously hears about all this, and they go, um, what about us? Does that apply to us, too? And the answer is obviously yes. Uh, They looked at their contract, and they took it to a lawyer, and their lawyer was like, this is the worst contract I've ever seen anyone sign. And it was almost identical. Lou was, uh, in addition to being the sixth member of the Backstreet Boys, he was also the sixth member of NSYNC. He was very busy. Another good one for trivia. Who was a <laughs> member in Backstreet Boys and an NSYNC? That's, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. So when time comes to get paid, uh, NSYNC is all, like, holding their breath because they have heard. Do you care to guess what? Okay, so so NSYNC at this point has earned $500 million in revenue over the course of the past three years right mm-hmm. do you care to guess what their paycheck was i'm a sixty thousand dollars less mm. based on based on the sixty thousand i'm gonna go for 40 less 20 less ten thousand hmm. ten thousand dollars per member jesus now they were like living the lifestyle though but like yeah but still i mean ten thousand dollars over three years like, even paying minimum wage at, like, a 40 hours a week. Because they did not, like, they ate, slept, and breathed in sync. Yeah, even the, like, $5 minimum wage. And yeah. that's what I'm saying, is, like, they didn't have a day off. Like, the, a lady that was managing in uh, sync was, like, even if they didn't have something to do that day, we took him for a photo shoot. Like, they did not get a day off. And they paid him, they paid them $10,000. Like... It's nuts. Lance Bass, apparently, when he saw it, just tore the check up and walked. Lance Bass is the one with the frosted tips. Uh, that's all of them, but yes. <laughs> that's why I said it, because I knew that it would be right. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, Lance Bass, was he blonde? Yeah, yeah, you're thinking of the right guy. So, Instinct went to the record label, uh, and they were like, look, we gotta get it free of Lou. Like, what can you guys do for us? And they, the label were basically like, look, we can side with you guys or we can side with Lou Pearlman. And like, you guys might have another album in you if we're lucky. Lou Pearlman's going to bring us more bands. So sorry, guys, we're siding with Lou on this one. 
And so, much like every other step in their career, NSYNC decided to follow in the footsteps of Backstreet, and they lawyered up. Uh, and they found a loophole in their contract that basically said, if you're not signed with an American label within a certain amount of time, like, the contract is void, and Lou signed them with a German label. So they were like, well, contract's void, we're good. And so they signed with somebody else, and Lou was like, you can't do that. And so he sued them for breach of contract. Right. So in an interview with ABC, Pearl claimed that NSYNC was being ridiculous and basically trying to steal from Lou. You know, like, I I put all this money in, and now they're just, like, thinking that they can just take all the profits. He had so graciously invested millions into this band. And so he told ABC, quote, The kids should take a step back and say, How did I get here? Who took the risk? Who put up all the money? Who's my real big papa? End quote. <laughs> and again, he... Uh, I can't get over him calling himself Big Papa. Like, no matter how many times I hear no it... No one wants to call you that. Well, okay, here's what's weird, is I was saving this for After Notes, but if you go watch the documentary, it's like, because they did it for so long, even these grown men who were in NSYNC and Backstreet still refer to him as Big Papa. Like, because it's just, that's, it's, he's Big Papa. Like, oh, Papa oh, Lou. No, they call him Papa it. Lou, and I'm just like, ugh, this mm, is gross. That's so gross. Now, did Lou ever get married? No, he had a girlfriend. But he never, like, had his own kids. No. No, he had no okay. kids. Okay. Um, and in fact, his I, I, I didn't include... Well, maybe we should save this for later. His, his girlfriend didn't let her son around him. That's fair. Yeah. So the day of the lawsuit comes up, and Lou claims, you know, he owns NSYNC. And if the members want to leave, that's fine. But NSYNC is his. And he, I, look, I'll replace them. Like, we'll get new people for NSYNC. To which the judge said, quote, so you're telling me that Mr. Perlman is in sync, and these five guys over here that my daughter has a poster of on her wall are not in sync? <laughs> End quote. No, that's Justin Timberlake and the Timberlake Boys. Exactly. Yeah. Look, <laughs> he's got he's got Raymond Noodles for his hair. <laughs> I said Raymond Noodles. Ramen Noodles. I like it better that you said Raymond Noodles. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, it's what I called it, but before I knew how it was pronounced. Look at that boy with Raymond noodles in the sand. <laughs> I hate it. Um, so Lou quickly settled, uh, and NSYNC, shortly after this, released their uh, hit album, No Strings Attached, uh, because basically they felt like they were free of Lou. Which is their biggest album. Yeah, and that, that album went on to go diamond. Huge. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were highly successful. They didn't need Lou. We all had No Strings Attached on CD. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I can I can see that album in my head. Like, yeah, yeah. Because it's the one where they're like puppets. They're all puppets. Yeah, and the, the, yeah. the video is pretty cool too. Where like there's the lady control them. On. I probably haven't seen it since the year like 2001, but I remember it. It's there. I mean, I can call yeah. it up in my imagination. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I I mentioned Backstreet and um, Backstreet and NSYNC. Those are the two big ones. But Lou has more bands uh, under his belt. Like. The band LFO, uh, who's, uh, I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. You know that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so he also started LFO. And Rich Cronin, who was their kind of like lead band, uh, got paid $20,000 for writing that song, Summer Girls. Rich Cronin later found out that Lou mm. had sold the publishing rights for $1.2 million. Mm. When he got mad and confronted Lou about it, Lou offered to buy Rich a Lincoln Navigator. And then later when Rich Cronin got his paycheck, he found that the Lincoln Navigator was taken out of his money. Nice. Mm. So, <laughs> I mean, Lou is a scumbag. It's a nice car, though. 
It is a nice car, but he paid for it. Like, that's the thing is he was like, look, I'm going to make it up to you. Let's go out and get you that Navigator you've been talking about. And then, like, he bought it. Like, I mean, he was like, let's go get you a Navigator. So, in 1999, Lou had lost both of his Golden Geese, right? Another thing he lost was Transcontinental. Uh, He technically forgot to renew his corporate registration. Like you do. Yeah, which meant the company was now, like, before it was mostly fiction. Now it's literally fiction. Like, there's no company called Transcontinental. Yeah. But he kept on selling the shares, you know, selling his EISA accounts, like... Wait a second, isn't that illegal? (laughs) Uh, sure is. (laughs) So Lou gets back to work, you know, he's made boy bands work. Now it's time to make some girl bands. As we mentioned previously, he started a band called Innocence, where sense is spelled weird. Yeah. Which, fun fact, when it started, Britney Spears was on the roster, and and she later left to start her solo career. So, Lou Pearlman also indirectly started the um, career of Britney Spears. Yeah, she was popular. She was. She was very popular. Hashtag free Britney. I was about to say, girl bands never really became a big thing, but then I remembered Spice Girls. Spice Girls was pretty big. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, Destiny's Child. TLC. Oh, yeah, but Destiny's Child DLC. but Destiny's Child and TLC were like a whole nother thing, though. But they're girl bands. They are girl bands, but they were actually good. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying the, the like poppy, like dance kind of like girl band the never really took The poppy dance off. girl band. You have the Spice Girls, and that's all I can yeah. think of. Well, yeah, even Lou couldn't get it off the ground. And Lou has a quote. He's like, yeah, I, I stuck to making boy bands because uh, they're not as emotional as all these women are. Oh, of course he would say Yeah, that. it's it's really <laughs> scummy. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, he couldn't tell the girls, I want to see your abs, take your shirts off. Uh, I mean, I guess he could have, but yeah, I don't think that's what he was interested in. But we'll get into that later. My biggest problem with girl bands is that they just don't look like boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big problem. Uh Oh, please don't isolate that either. That was Lou Perlman. That was, that was supposed to be Lou Perlman's voice. That's that's why you gotta do the voice. If you do the voice, <laughs> even if it's isolated, it's you, they can't tell it's you. Good. So, it's it's gotten a lot harder to put these bands together now that it's public knowledge that he's screwing everyone over. Um, so Lou kind of wants to do a, a, a soft reset on his public image. So he does something that's pretty ahead of its time for 1999. He starts a reality show called Making the Band. Uh, and in the show, Lou brings in 25 guys, and, you know, week by week, they whittle down until they have their legendary five-man quintet, right? And as we know from experience, just being on a reality show makes people think that you can do anything. In an alternate universe, I'm sure Lou Perlman went on to become president. Right. <laughs> Very political. So <laughs> we can cut that joke if we want to. That was pretty good. He also did a show that was the predecessor to MTV Cribs called Live in Large, uh, in which he basically shows off his multi-million dollar properties, his cars, his planes, and his quarter million dollar diamond studded Rolex. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So Lou has kind of moved on from the spotlight that got cast when he was sued by his two biggest creations. So the people that really care about his reputation for being a swindler are the people who he's making bands with. But really, they didn't care all that much. Uh, a member of one of Lou's later boy band attempts said, quote, I feel like I knew getting into it that it was going to be more about the experience than the money. End quote. <laughs> yeah. So basically, Lou would make you famous, right? Like, you might not get paid, but you're going to live the lifestyle. You're going to perform in front of millions of screaming teenage girls. Yeah. It was selling your soul to the devil, but 
a lot of wannabe heartthrobs are more than willing to sell that soul in a, in exchange for the fame. I mean, the fame, you can you can make a career off the fame. Like, exactly. Justin Timberlake's done just fine. Joey Fatone's a senator out in Wyoming. Well, I mean, they, they went on to... They went on to continue their career as in sync you know like a lot of these got later guys they're like look i mean if we if we make it great but we're probably not going like the boy band craze is dying right yeah. like i mean it was kind of a flash in the pan i mean relatively when have we not had a boy band in the past like 20 years well this is when it was massive. who was it before bts the one with harry styles uh one direction one direction yeah that's the one also, mm-hmm. I definitely said that Joey Fatone was a senator earlier. No one called me out on it. I was going to ask, but I didn't. Well, I didn't know for a fact. I didn't know what you were talking about. I didn't know that, <laughs> and I didn't think that was right, but you said it confidently, so I... Yeah, Joey Fatone is not a senator. <laughs> Just want to make sure that everyone knows that I know that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so around this time he also decides to buy and restore an Orlando landmark and turn it into the new Transcon headquarters now this landmark had been there for you know decades and like it it used to be this massive thing before before Disney World and Universal moved in you know that was the place that tourists went it was like this massive complex right so when Lou buys it from the city uh, the people of Orlando were concerned about him turning their landmark into a boy band mecca and many people were vocal about their thoughts and like, you know, they were speaking out like, oh, this is an outrage. Like you're giving it to Lou Pearlman of all people. Like he's going to ruin everything, blah, blah, blah. So in an act of what I can only see as spite, the city council of Orlando bestowed Lou Pearlman with a key to the city and said, you know, thank you so much for restoring our landmark. Like basically like I literally the woman said, like, we gave him the key to the city because people were giving him hell. So they just pitied him? I guess. Like, I mean, they're like, look, he's, you know, he bought this building off us. Like, we're... They gave him the key to the city. Yeah. For buying a building. Anyway, so Lou Pearlman, of all people, now has a key to the city of Orlando. Um, Well, I don't think the keys to the city actually work. It's a big symbol. (laughs) I don't think they, like, fit all the locks. (laughs) Pretty sure they get you into uh, City Hall. (laughs) This key is way too big. How's this going to open any doors? <laughs> so, and again, he would, whenever people would come in to invest with him, he's like, oh, you want to see my key to the city of Orlando? Like, I'm such a big prominent guy. Like, it, it just gave him more, like, clout. Yeah. So, I see Lou Pearlman receiving the key to Orlando as Lou Pearlman's peak, right? This is the apex. So, I, I just want to take a second. Let's enjoy this moment. Lou Pearlman's at the top of his game. He's nationally known as a scumbag. Yep. Mostly known to his business partners as... A swindler. A fraud. Right. He's doing great. Well, but here's the thing is you say he's nationally known as a scumbag. He's nationally known as the guy who makes boy bands, right? Most people see him on making the band. Most people know that he started Backstreet and NSYNC. Unless you're keeping up with the news, you don't even know that they sued him or that he's not still their manager, right? Yeah. Like, he's nationally known as a success. So things are things are going to get kind of dark after this. So kind of buckle in. Okay. Um, we're about to watch his empire crumble. I'm in an office chair. So... <laughs> I cannot buckle up. <laughs> go get a buckle. Get Go get a belt and belt yourself down. Great. So Lou just bought his new headquarters. He's got his TV show. He's got some C-list bands under his brand. But the bills are heavily outweighing his profits. 
Um, in 2001, Lou reported his net worth to the IRS as negative $3 million, which would be the last time Lou filed taxes at all. Oh. Now, this is his reported net worth. I seriously doubt he was reporting the money that he was making from his Ponzi scheme. Like, I'm sure he had yeah. money hidden. You know what I mean? Like, his, his on-paper net worth was negative $3 million. Right. Now, speaking of the Ponzi scheme, one of Lou's most lucrative victims was about to create issues for him. This particular victim had invested over $14 million in Lou's companies. This was great for Lou, uh, up until the investor died tragically, and the family came knocking for their father's $14 million, plus interest. Right. So, Lou didn't answer their calls, but he did attend the funeral, and so they cornered him at the funeral and was like, Hey, uh... Interesting, you haven't been uh, answering our calls. Let's talk about that money. And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you're going to have to talk to the money man. Uh, and he, like, quickly got out of there. <laughs> and when, you know, basically he was not cooperating. So Wait, the Art family... Garfunkel's... They need to talk to Art Garfunkel's dad. The money man. The money <laughs> yeah, man. That's the money man. Uh, thank you for remembering that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when... Uh, yeah, so, so they decide to sue him, right? So their lawyers requested documents from Lou's businesses, but Lou's businesses came back and said, oh, yeah, yeah, there was a hurricane. Uh, all of our documents got blown away. We don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, eventually they were like, okay, we're uh, they, they got discovery, right? They couldn't hide it forever. Like they, they yeah. weren't cooperating, but eventually uh, with court order, they, they were able to go in and actually like look through their documents. Uh, one of these documents that, they uh, actually provided to the law firm that was signed by the late investor said that he could not pull out any of his investment if doing so would, quote, place economic constraint on any of the respective companies, end quote. So basically, they're saying like, look, if pulling out your money is going to cause us economic strain, we can veto it. I think that that's still a thing though, right? Like companies can do that. Like, I think that like, Bill Gates couldn't like sell off all of his like Microsoft. Oh, like he's not allowed to do that. I don't, I don't think know. he can. I don't think you can like liquidate all that. Like at a go. Well, if doing so would cause a takeover by another entity, I think the the the, the, F, uh, the SEC has to get involved, maybe, um, for publicly traded companies. But this is a privately traded company; they can basically do anything. But the point is, the lawyer said like, "There's no way anyone would sign this agreement." Like, this is so... Because think about it, right? Like, if you can't pull your money out, if it's going to cause economic strain, if the company starts to start doing poorly, your money's stuck, right? Until yeah, they hit bottom. There. Yeah. yeah. There's, he was like, there's no way that they would do this. Um, so he starts looking at the signature, and he's like, man, this looks oddly familiar. And he pulls out a separate document, and he's like, not only does it look familiar, it, this is the same signature. Like, down to, like... The details. And so he pulls yeah. in some handwriting experts, and he's like, is this the same signature? And they're like, yeah, that's the same signature. Good. And he's like, huh. All right. So that's strike one, right? He's like, okay, this is this is a forged document. That's a, le that's a legal strike one. There's multiple legal... You get multiple legal well, strikes. Well, let's... Being wealthy is rad. It's not, it's not <laughs> strikes uh, so much as this is the first thing they've found, right? Oh, okay. They're amassing evidence. Yes. So that's strike one. Uh, next, the law firm started reviewing Perlman's personal financials, which were audited by a firm called Cohen and Siegel. Keep Cohen and Siegel in your mind because they are very important to the story. Gotcha. 
the company did all of Perlman's financial audits, all of his businesses audits, his personal audits. They did everything. Uh, the issue was their headquarters was located in Perlman's imagination. They were a complete lie. There was no Cohen and Siegel. So when the law firm reached out to Cohen and Siegel to comment for Lou's personal finances, uh, they quickly found out there wasn't an office. They just they just call them and like Lou answers and he's like, hey. <laughs> well, Cayman, you're making a joke. It's not this audit, but there's one later where the dude's like, yeah, so I decided to call him and he was at like Transcontinental. He's like, I called Cohen and Siegel and I saw Perlman's phone light up. <laughs> rad he's literally like yeah it's it's nuts and so he was like oh yeah Cohen and Siegel they got, they got the headquarters over in Germany and so they were like oh we know people in Germany and they're like hey could you go check out this address and they're like yeah there's nothing here there is no Cohen and Siegel <laughs> so that's strike two why does he pin everything on Germany <laughs> like, no, that's oh dude we're th there's more no dude the major shareholder is is this blimp dude <laughs> yeah you know, he was just like, it, I wonder if he'd ever been to Germany or if he was just like, well, like Germany's a reputable country. So every time I got to like, oh, he's definitely been to Germany. OK, so finally, the law firm was allowed to view the financials of the companies that their client's father had invested in. Mm -hmm. So they quickly realized that all of these businesses were being propped up by cash that was coming from LJP Enterprises, uh, Louis J. Perlman. Oh, good. Essentially, Lou's investment scheme was being used to keep all of his businesses afloat. And they quickly realized, uh, this is a Ponzi scheme. So, the firm had their third strike. Now, this is where things get a little weird. Like, I, it makes perfect sense, but, like, you think about it and you're like, huh. So, they, they have all the evidence in the world to, like, put Perlman away. Right. But at the same time, they're not a government entity. They're not part of the criminal system. Their job is to get the investment back for their client. Right. So outing Perlman as a fraud is only going to hurt their chances of getting paid. Like if they if he goes to jail, he's there's no money. Right. Right. So instead of reporting their findings to any lawful authority, they decided to strong arm Lou into ponying up what he owed. Uh, according to the lawyer representing the case, quote, I told him straight to his face, at least one of three things is going to happen. You're going to go to prison. You're going to go bankrupt and your companies are going to go bankrupt or you're going to pay me the money. End quote. Lou quickly agreed to pay back around $9 million. Not the full amount, but he was like, look, I got $9 million. Can we just make this go away? Yeah. Uh, and they agreed. So, again, this guy's <laughs> like, look, you're, you're doing some shady stuff. I want my money. I'll toss in a few dancing boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, since he was paying out hush money, Lou couldn't afford to pay off all of his bank loans that he'd taken out. And that's right. I forgot to mention, uh, Lou has taken out multi-million dollar loans from pretty much every bank in town. Oh. And to make matters worse, he was using the same assets as collateral for all of his loans. Ooh. Like he was saying, Good. oh, yeah, 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 I got my house. I got my Rolls Royce. Like, yeah, I got collateral. That's that's a good way to do money. That's a smart way to, to do money. Well, and the thing is, the bank is supposed to look that up and say like, oh, is this already being used somewhere? Like, they're not just supposed to take that on face value. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. You're telling me you're not instantly going to trust the blimp man who <laughs> got the dancing boys? Yeah, he was like, I, I got these dancing boys. I'm Big Papa. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, Big Papa. Here, have some he's money. He's trustworthy. There's no way he's not wealthy. This is fine. Exactly. Have a loan. <laughs> no one named Big Papa can be poor. <laughs> 
so like I mentioned, with this hush money payment, Lou starts missing all of these loan payments. Like, he's not paying. And you can rip off a lot of people, but when you start ripping off banks, that's when you're in trouble. And as such, banks start filing lawsuits in an attempt to claim the assets that Lou put up as collateral. The issue is uh, when they start to realize that multiple institutions are coming for the same assets. And so one bank shows up and they're like, wait, you're repossessing the house? I'm here to repossess the house. (laughs) And basically, this is when the house of cards starts to fall down. So one of Lou's head executives for Transcontinental, Frankie Vasquez, starts to realize that the jig is up. It's unclear how much he knew about all the fraud that was going on. I'm not going to speculate on it, but basically he realizes the jig is up. He started flushing documents down the toilet. Well, a lot of people are doing that. Frankie Vasquez in particular is high enough up that he realizes he's he's personally in trouble. Oh. So he has to meet with Lou about the situation. And we don't know what was discussed, but after the meeting, Frankie went home shut his garage door, and asphyxiated himself to death with car exhaust. Oh, that's dark. Yeah, like I said, the story is getting dark. Uh, So, yeah, so one of his head people commits suicide. Right. And this creates a spotlight on the situation, which led... I'm assuming it's because of the company, right? Yep. Well, I mean, can't say definitively, but I would think so. I don't know if there'd been anything else major in his life happen around that time. <laughs> if there yeah. was something major, I don't know about it. it so I'm going to assume like it's, it's the, the company. company. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So Frank's suicide created this media spotlight, basically like, oh, local man kills himself over business falling apart with Lou Perlman's boys. Um, uh, and that led, because again, all the banks are starting to figure out what's going on, but now these thousands of people who have given Lou money are seeing this on the news, like, oh, transcontinental airlines massive fraud scam uh and so they're like uh that's where my money is so they all start pounding down lou's door saying where's my money i want my money now get give me my money right but there is no money it's all gone the frosted tips industry is just panicking yeah (laughs) (laughs) so this is when lou starts doing what lou does best and he starts crafting this narrative about you know what's going on like it's not me it's definitely not me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not him. So he starts telling people that Frankie was the only person that knew what was really going on and could exonerate him. And the real people behind all this fraud had Frankie killed so he couldn't let the truth out. And this is the first of many conspiracy theories that Lou crafts in order to justify his innocence. But he, he starts calling people and he's like, if something happens to me, like you'll know that the real people behind the sham are, 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 have taken me out. Please tell me that this all ends with a very low-speed blimp chase. Oh, my God. (laughs) That would be awesome. Doubt. That ends in a crash. But, unfortunately, it does not. The the, the blimps are all gone, Cayman. Like, the blimps have have all crashed, basically. Thank God. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, sorry. There's no more blimps. (laughs) So, uh, remember the ISA accounts that we talked about? The, those were the savings accounts. The ones that, that were pro- insured by the FDIC. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 The ones that were uh, foolproof investment. <laughs> wink, and, wink. and he didn't have to pay those fees, the teller fees. So, like, he could get you this, this great, uh, you know, it was slightly better than average uh, on the returns. Yeah. So, Lou already has banks knocking on his door. He has investors knocking on his door. And he's like, could this get worse? And then the uh, Florida Office of Financial Regulation comes knocking. And he's like, oh, it can. Because uh, yes. they've been investigating <laughs> the EISA accounts. You know, Transcon claimed that they hadn't offered those accounts in years, 
Because remember, last time a government agency investigated the EISA accounts, Lou just said, oh, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll look into that. And they just kind of went away. So he's like, yeah, we'll yeah. do that again. But unfortunately for Lou, the OFR wasn't satisfied with that answer. And they dug deeper and found quickly that the EISA accounts never stopped. Like they were selling them all the time. They reached into Lou's pockets and pulled out a receipt from where he had just sold one, like earlier that morning. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> How do you explain this? Yeah, they saw a thing on his desk saying, like, you want to, uh, interested in the EIS, EISA account? <laughs> they looked on his, like, bulletin board, and it was just, like, ISA sold this month, like, 103. Well, that's the thing, is, like, that that was a thing. Like, they, they people got bonuses based on how many they sold. Like, it, it oh was so, God. it was so, like, up front. Like, I mean, how could they think that they weren't going to see, yeah, no, these, these are, clearly being sold i think it i think at a certain point lou had gotten away with running scams for long enough that he was just like i can just do this and it's gonna be fine you have no idea it's you're you're, you you won't believe me when i tell you but anyway we're we're getting there so anyway lou even if lou was able to come up with all the money in the world to pay off all of his creditors right he was just caught lying to uncle sam so lou was in big trouble and so was everyone associated with him What happens next is almost comical. Those that work at Transcon HQ start looting the building. Like, literally the House of Cards is crumbling, right? So they're, people are... I would, yeah. People are seen leaving with plasma TVs, tables, chairs, basically anything that wasn't nailed down, people are taken. One marketing manager transferred $1.5 million of company funds into his personal account. It was literally just picking the skeleton clean of this thing before it all went belly up. Right, before the government or the banks take it. Right, and speaking of, the OFR got a warrant to raid the building, uh, and any building that was associated with Lou Perlman. Uh, They raided what was left of Transcon HQ, as well as Perlman's many homes, Uh, but all they found left was, well, what hadn't been shredded already, and a bunch of magazines and posters marketed to teenage girls. Um, (laughs) And a Lincoln Navigator. And a Lincoln Navigator, (laughs) registered to uh, Rich Cronin. Uh, What they did not find was Lou Perlman. They had no idea where he was, and neither did anyone else. And this next section in my notes, I'm, I'm really proud of this one, is, And I want you back. Um, uh, that's four. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure how much we can, like, sing of songs before it's uh, copyright infringement. None of it. Oh, no, it's the real good. answer, you're but fine. It's, nah, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a cover. We're entertainment. It doesn't matter, but yeah. So Lou's disappearance becomes quite a news story. Uh, A lot of people have a vested interest in finding him, uh, like the FBI, most major American financial institutions, and hundreds if not thousands of fraud victims. So, where was Lou? Where in the world is Lou Perlman? Well, in one of the boldest moves I think Lou could have done at this point, he sends a letter from Germany to the Orlando Sentinel newspaper. In the letter, he said, Look, I'm not running from justice, all right? I'm just over here in Europe doing some business with my new boy band, US5. They're going to be the next big thing. <laughs> Which was not false, right? In fact, there's video footage of him accompanying the band to a German award show. And during the show, the the, the band even like shouts him out. They're like, Oh, yeah. Thank you to Lou Perlman. Like, they're, they're, they're a German band. Yeah. Uh, so you were asking, like, does he do a lot of business in Germany? Yes. Okay. Is it always five members? Yes. Always. Is that because you kids on the block was five members? And he was like, maybe I'm taking that. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer, to be honest. <laughs> okay. In Perlman's eyes, the more, the more the merrier. The more abs, the better. <laughs> 
God. So Perlman told the Sentinel that all of his investors would get their money and that everything was fine because, quote, rebuilding and making things better is what I do. Uh, <laughs> is it? Uh, apparently. a lot of blimps. <laughs> he makes things better, Cayman. And ripped off a lot of boys. And it's good that Perlman thinks that he's better at rebuilding since all of his assets in America are being auctioned off including life-size versions of R2-D2, Anakin Skywalker, and Han Solo Frozen and Carbonite. Oh, man. Wait, are these, like, from his house? Yes, these are the things that he owns. That's actually kind of rad. That's dope, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, he he made a compound that young boys would want to visit. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. (laughs) Apparently it got me, too. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing, is that's rad. Um, I'd love to have Han Solo Frozen and Carbonite. That'd be, like, great on a wall. Yeah, and, like, he he would... frequently have these guys live with him like mm. it yeah it, it was weird he also had a golf cart meant to resemble a cadillac escalade oh that one's really cool you can find a picture of that one it, it's really neat and of course lose cherished rolls royce the phantom yeah those things are dope yeah it was they're neat. sick yeah so meanwhile <laughs> lou decided that you know maybe it's time to flee germany since he just blew his cover and he went to bali indonesia this is where Lou's megastardom comes back to bite him, because while there, a German tourist spots Perlman sunbathing, which I'm sure was very traumatic for him, uh, and he immediately <laughs> contacts the FBI. Dude, sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> so the FBI dispatches agents immediately. When the FBI landed in Bali, they decided that, you know, it's pretty early, I'm pretty hungry, that was a long flight, let's get breakfast. So, meanwhile, the German tourist is just following Perlman, and he's kind of getting frustrated. He's like, look, like, I can only follow him for so long without getting spotted. He's like, you know, he's he's eating at this place. Like, just come get him. And he sends the FBI a picture. Well, he, he just so happens to be eating breakfast at the same restaurant as the FBI agents, and in the picture, you can see the agents at the table right next to, to Lou Perlman. Like, <laughs> they show the picture in the documentary, and it's like, they're right there. And so the, the awesome. agents get the picture, and they're like, oh, that's us. And they, like, look over, and there's Lou Perlman, and they're like, huh. And so they go arrest him. They're like, oh, well, I guess I won't be having those waffles. (laughs) All right, let's just arrest them after the next round comes. Yeah, yeah, let's get get one more round of mimosas. Yeah, yeah. So they had him arrested and extradited to the U.S. to stand trial. Upon further investigation, they found that Perlman had been staying at a local hotel under the name A. Incognito Johnson. No. Yes. Like he actually said incognito in the name. Yes. His name is A. Incognito Johnson. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, Perlman is not a uh, clever man. Imagine being a waiter and someone asks for the check and you go give them the check. And they're like writing their tips or whatever. And they all stand up and just arrest the next table. Over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, whoa, but I haven't gotten them their check. Wait yeah. a second. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you better be paying for his too. Right. Um... <laughs> Charge it to A. Incognito Johnson. (laughs) So while he awaited trial, Lou was housed at the Orlando Orange County Jail. Apparently there's an Orange County in Florida also. I thought it was just in California. Mm. It's because they have oranges in Florida. They also have a Hollywood in Florida. They do. Florida's just the crappier version of California. It's the California of the South. (laughs) (laughs) So Perlman was deemed a flight risk and was denied bail, obviously. So to pass the time, Lou did what he did best and came up with all the things that he was going to do once he got out of jail. Uh, and I honestly believe 
Perlman thought this was going to blow over. He had talked his way out of all the consequences every other time in his life, so why couldn't he do it this time? He had already planned his next business venture, which was going to be a reality show about celebrities who needed a second chance getting their lives back together. Uh, he was like, you know, if a, if a celebrity goes to prison, we'll, like, get him on the show and we'll, like, go walk through, like, how they're going to get the career back on track. Like, I guess this was, like, his way of kind of compartmentalizing the fact that he was going to have to do the same thing. Has that been a thing? I'm, I'm sure fairly certain that's it. been a thing. He was like, yeah, we'll get we'll get Mel Gibson on there. We'll get OJ, like... You know, those people who deserve second chances. Like OJ Simpson. <laughs> so, he also reconnected with his old friend Alan Gross, who he started all of his airship business with. Um, you yeah. Know, he was the childhood friend that they watch blimps and whatever. Yeah. Um, and he was like, look, Alan, as soon as I get out of here, like, you and me, we gotta, we gotta get back on business. Like, we gotta get back to the old days when we were out there turning tricks and flying airships and all that. I'm, you know what? When I get Whoa. out of here, you and me, we're going to have a barbecue. <laughs> so <laughs> Alan was like going along with it. Like, yeah, Pearl, yeah, Lou, whatever. Like, that's fine. Uh, yeah. It, Alan hates Lou Perlman's guts, but he was like, yeah, I talked to him. Cause I just, you know, I, I wanted to keep tabs on what was going on. What did Alan Gross do with the rest of his life? Uh, his life was basically ruined. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little later uh, when we get to the court case, but basically yeah. like Lou, Convinced him to leave a job at Good Goodyear. Convinced him to leave his dream job. Yeah. Um, to go start this business. And then once they got successful, he threw Alan to the curb. And Alan basically spent the rest of his life in uh, that apartment complex. Uh, he, you know, when his parents died, he just moved in. And, like, he was kind of a, um, a recluse. Yeah. It, it basically ruined his whole life. Damn. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk more about all the lives that Lou ruined. But he is a, he is a monster. So when Lou's trial finally came around, he was so broke that he required a public defender. And all the damning evidence, along with the fact that he couldn't even afford the counsel that he needed, made a plea bargain seem very appealing. Lou agreed to plead guilty to three counts of bank fraud, one count of mail fraud, and one count of wire fraud. Altogether, the crimes committed carried a combined maximum sentence of 25 years. Perlman was 53 at the time, and his poor health meant that 25 years was most likely a life sentence. As part of this plea deal, Perlman admitted that he had defrauded people out of a total of $200 million over the course of his 20-year career. Wow. And that's a low ball. That is a low ball. Most people put him closer to half a billion. Like, most people say it's probably in the 400 to $500 million range. But all of his charges carried a maximum of 25 years. Yeah, altogether. Yeah, they carried a maximum yeah, of 25 years. Exactly. He frauded people out of half a billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. It ruined lives, and we'll, we'll talk that, about that. But yeah, it's it's crazy. You could the, the amount of damage you can do in financial crime and walk away with, like, even a 25-year sentence, like, it's not enough. Yeah. No, that's nothing. I know, and that's the thing. Is like, like, you could get that much for, like, having a certain amount of coke on you. Yeah. Exactly. And we'll, we'll talk about it more. But yeah, and even the prison he went to, like, he was like, look, uh, he does an interview and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, do people bother you? He's like, I mean, look, I'm, I'm in here with mostly like financial criminals. Like, I mean, it's not like I'm in a hot in prison. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, he went to a white collar prison. Like, it's, uh, it sucks. It sucks. Our legal system's broken. Honestly, you know what? I will say 25 years is probably appropriate, but... I, th I feel like other crimes should also be that low. Like the fa yeah, it's just other crimes should also have less time. Yeah, uh, the criminal system needs reform. Well, this is not the episode for that. Bold take. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
hearing, you know, you've defrauded people out of $200 million, you can't pay it back, so, you know, you're going to have to go to prison now. Uh, A light bulb goes off in Lou's head, and he, again, you're not going to believe this. Perlman petitioned to delay his sentencing so he could manage a boy band from jail. He was like, look, I already got US-5 out there. They're in Germany. I can start some more boy bands. We'll get that money back. All we got to do is you you let me have access to the internet. Let me have a phone. I'll, I'll start up some boy bands. We'll get all the money back. I'll pay off everybody, and we'll, we'll be good. Uh, and they were like, um, no. No. <laughs> that's not going to happen, because mostly for the fact that you're going to need money to, to do that. You're going to need to get investors. Essentially, what you're asking to do is to continue your Ponzi scheme. You're, you're going to get money from people and pay your old investors, and then you owe those people money. Like, no, that's just a Ponzi scheme. You're suggesting that we listen, that you have the listen. U.S. government help you do a Ponzi scheme. No. Listen, guys, I know it was bad that I knocked over that jewelry store in Lexington, but just give me a crowbar in 24 hours. I'll go hours, get a bunch I'll more jewelry. all those exactly. jewels. <laughs> I'll give you all the jewelry I get. So... Yeah, so the the court obviously denied that request. Right. A judge was assigned to carry out sentencing, and almost immediately his office was flooded with letters from former investors begging for Perlman to receive the maximum sentencing, if not more. Among the letters was one from Alan Gross, you know, his childhood friend that we just talked about. Right. And basically he told his whole life story. He's like, look, Lou, Lou ruined my life. Like, whatever you give him isn't enough. Lou is a monster. Yeah. And... Uh, another letter came from Lou's own cousin who had spent, you know, invested money and she said she could never expect a family member to be so evil. Like, he ruined her life too. And there's just so many. Like, these letters are heartbreaking. Like, there's people who say, look, like, I, I put everything I had into it and I'm I'm retired. Like, I will never see another dime. What did Art Garfunkel say? <laughs> he wrote a song about it. <laughs> No, but it's, yeah, the cousin was not Art Garfunkel. Um, that okay. was a different cousin. Sound of silence, more like sound of bullshit. <laughs> if it's the sound of silence, why is it so loud? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I would encourage you, look up some of these letters. Like, I mean, it's it's awful. Like, reading that, it really puts it into perspective. Like, yeah, he, it, it hurt people. I mean, it ruined lives. Like, Perlman deserved to be thrown under the jail. Like, he's awful right so anyway the day of sentencing came the courtroom was packed with investors looking to see the man that ruined their lives put behind bars and a few of them were selected to step forward and tell the judge uh, how lou had personally wronged them Uh, many of them couldn't get through their testimony without crying when the time came to sentence lou the judge went down the list of crimes and for each one he bestowed the maximum sentence afterwards he said quote you've pled guilty to defrauding your investors out of $300 million in this case. I said $200 million earlier. Yeah. It should have been 300 million. Yeah. Gotcha. You've pled guilty to defrauding your investors out of $300 million in this case. There may be more out there, but that's what you've pled to 300 million. And you've got 300 months in the Bureau of prisons. So I'm going to give you an incentive. I'm going to give you the keys to your jail cell. I'm going to give you one month reduction of sentence for every million dollars that you can get back into the pockets of these investors. End quote. So, there were rumors circling that there was a chest of buried treasure somewhere that Lou Perlman right. stashed away. Like, somewhere yeah. in the Bahamas. Like, everyone was talking about it. Like, oh yeah, Lou is just wanting to get out of this so he can go get his money and, you know, retire to the... Hidden treasure. Exactly. Yeah. So I have to imagine that the judge was hoping that 
upon saying this, Lou would be like, oh, I got the money right here. Like, we, uh, all, all I got to do is make some calls. We can get $300 million no time. Unfortunately, as far as we know, there was no buried treasure. Yeah, he used a public defender, I imagine. Exactly. He like, he would have he would have gotten a lawyer. Uh, so, yeah. Lou, Lou had blown every dime he had. Like, all of those investors' money was gone for good. He probably didn't even have the Phantom anymore. No, he definitely didn't. They auctioned it. Which is which is a tragedy, because that's a sick car. Yeah, somebody else has it now. Imagine <laughs> having Lou Perlman's Phantom. You, I'm sure you could look it up. I'm sure it's well, out there. And that's the thing, is like when they were auctioning stuff off, like they were auctioning like gold records for Backstreet Boys and stuff, and they were like, yeah, these grown men are like out here bidding up like these boy band like paraphernalia. Like, I don't know, it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah. That'd have been a sick auction to go to, though. Yeah, oh my god, it would have been so cool with all the Star Wars. Yeah, 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 the life size R two D two. I'd be like, hell yeah, yeah that's awesome. <laughs> one of the like, because uh, the boy bands were there too. Like they were, they were trying to get some of that stuff. Oh yeah, and and one of them was like, yeah, I was, I forgot what he was trying to get, but he's like, I settled for just getting his uh, jet ski instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't like a jet ski? Uh, everyone loves a jet ski. So, yeah, so Perlman is uh, set to serve 25, or, yeah, 25 years in, um, in prison. So that was in 2007. Uh, seven years later in 2014, Perlman gave an interview with The Hollywood Reporter in which he claimed to hate how people were comparing him to Bernie Madoff because, quote, he was just a scamster. I don't think it was right what he did, but I had my way to make it all right. I just didn't have my chance to do it. If I was given a chance to put another boy band together, that would have paid everybody back. But I never had that opportunity, and that's what's very upsetting. Jesus. I basically he's like, if the if the if the court would have just let me make that boy band, like, I could have paid everybody back, but they didn't want me to do that. Do you think he actually believes that? Oh yeah, no. Yeah. He the first person to believe Lou Perlman's bullshit was Lou Perlman. Like, yeah, he lived in a fantasy world. And we'll talk. I cut a lot of because again, he started coming up with all these conspiracies, and I, I think at a certain point he he started to believe it. Also in this interview with the Hollywood reporter, he said, you know, he said, you know, I found a silver lining in my incarceration. Uh, cause if I were still a free man, all those steaks and onion rings probably would have killed me of a heart attack by now. <laughs> Perlman died two years later of a heart attack at the age of 62. Got two more years. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have onion rings with the steaks? Uh, he was not a uh, he was not a fancy man. I still feel like those are things that really go together. He loved McDonald's, like a steak sandwich, yeah. But I, McDonald's doesn't have steaks or onion rings. No, but I'm saying like he was he was someone who ate McDonald's a lot. Yeah, I mean it, it, steak and onion rings is something that I could see Lou Perlman eating. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, Lou Perlman's dead. Died in 2014. So that's uh, that's the story of Lou Perlman. Wow. Well, and I've got a lot of afternotes. He did give the world boy bands. He kind of, I mean, he didn't like start the boy band. Like there was new kids on the block, which inspired Yeah, He him. was a founding member in <laughs> both NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. And, was, and all yeah. the LFO, um, a band called O-Town, which was the one that making the band started. Um, C-Note, which was like a Latin boy band. Um, Innocence, which I've never heard of. But yeah, yeah. There's, he made a lot of bands and, you know, started the career of Aaron Carter and Britney Spears. Like, even when she went solo, she was still with Transcontinental, I'm pretty sure. And what's crazy is, like, I mean, it's not 
it's obvious, but like if you go to like the first NSYNC album on like Spotify and scroll down, it's like copyright transcontinental records. And like, it's yeah. just crazy. Like seeing it. Cause like when we do these stories, like they almost feel like just a story. Like you forget like, no, this, this is all real. Like yeah. this all happened. So like just seeing, and again, we'll, we'll get into it in after notes, but actually I'll just do it right now. So whenever, um, you know, he lost, uh, NSYNC and Backstreet, he, Perlman was like, all right, you know what we're going to do now? We're going to do movies. We're going to get into the movie business. So he started Transcontinental Pictures. And so he made this movie called Long Shot, which you can watch right now on YouTube because I'm not sure who owns the rights to that movie anymore, but someone just uploaded the whole thing. I'm not sure if it's illegal to tell you to go watch it, but it is awful because it was written and produced by Lou Perlman. Uh. It is horrible, and I loved every second of it. Definitely watch it because it is garbage like it is it's one of those like so horrible it's fantastic so bad it's good yes um and like i think when they were making the movie like they went back and watched and they were like this is trash so like in in like an early scene there's like a voiceover and it's like uh, you know at this time i I felt like i was in a bad teen movie like (laughs) Mm. um so anyway uh yeah they spent 20 million dollars making it and they only uh made two million dollars on uh the box office so excellent by the way do you know what LFO stands for? I don't, actually. Light funky ones. But light is spelled with a Y and an E. So it's like L-Y-P-E. Funky ones. I hate it. <laughs> so do I. Yeah, that's awful. But I was just looking that up to see if Transcontinental is still around. I'm sure it's not. Um, and it seems like, no, it's not. Yeah, it's- and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, where those rights are now. Like, who bought out all that stuff. But Who bought Transcontinental? Yeah. So, you know, I guess we're in afternotes now. I, again, I want to acknowledge my two main sources. The book, The Hit Charade, Lou Pearlman, Boy Bands, and the Biggest Ponzi Scheme in U.S. History. Fantastic. It's hard to get a, a physical copy of the book. I just got it on Kindle. Definitely check it out. I really enjoyed it. The other one is the documentary, The Boy Band Con, The Lou Pearlman Story. Again, it's on YouTube. You can, like, and that one is not, like, just someone uploaded this movie. This is, like, YouTube actually has it on there for free. You can just go watch it. Uh, it's only, like, an hour and a half. I definitely recommend it, too, because it's it's neat to, you know, hear the perspective of the people that actually lived it. Yeah. And again, you get to hear a bunch of grown men call this guy Papa. It's <laughs> as weird as it sounds. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, as far as stuff that I had to cut out of the episode for time, or just how weird the, it just didn't mesh with the story, Julian Bencher, the the big investor for Lou, um, got married around the time that he was, you know, investing in Lou's companies, and around the time the Backstreet Boys were formed. Uh, yeah. Lou Pearlman was the best man at his wedding, and the Backstreet Boys performed at the reception. Oh. And this was before they got famous. This is even before they went to Europe. Like, this is early in their career. So there was an open bar at the wedding, and apparently the Backstreet Boys enjoyed the open bar a little bit too much, and they went up to, like, perform, and the, you know, again, they're these are not the seasoned professionals that they turned into, and they're drunk. So their performance was not very good, and apparently on Bencher's wedding video, you can hear his new father-in-law turn to somebody and go, this is the shit my son-in-law sank his money into? that's fantastic yeah uh but wait how were they drinking from the open bar they were boys yeah well uh, well they were backstreet boys so yeah i've never been carted at a wedding yeah that's true i haven't been to many weddings 
Uh, your your what I'm saying is your wedding uh, caterer did not card me. So <laughs> yeah, you're fair. on you're on the hook. <laughs> to be fair, and I say this in the most loving way, from one bald man to another, have you been carded since you've been bald? No, no, no. No one, no one suspects me of being under 21. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I get carded. Yeah, you got hair. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. So another fun fact: the lawyer that represented Lou in his legal battles with Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, same lawyer that represented Casey Anthony. Great. Oh, you mean the one that married Casey Ant? No, no, that was or a wait. legal counsel. That was not her lawyer. I don't think oh, okay. so. I don't think it's the same guy. Who knows? Or oh, lived God. with her Is or it? something. I don't know. Casey Anthony's a whole... We don't do true crime. We don't do true crime. Casey Anthony, <laughs> lawyer, boyfriend. We have we have to stop. We don't do true crime. It's our one care. thing. Did Casey <laughs> Anthony pay for her... Oh, well, I don't need to read that on air. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, not the same guy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, so yeah, so that's that. Also, Lou tried to just not pay his lawyer, um, which is not a good idea because his lawyer sued him. And Yeah, lawyers do law. Yeah, that's how that, that works. And so mm-hmm. they um, he he got paid from like a, a German like wire transfer. It was shady. Again, stuff coming from Germany. Yeah. L- Lou also bought the male dancing company Chippendales at one point and owned it mm, okay that was part of transcontinental's enterprise uh he also owned like a string of tcby yogurt shops and he like started a, a new york pizzeria i don't know he had a lot of stuff going on basically i came to the realization during this that lou perlman was essentially creating money laundering schemes but he had no money to launder like he had all these like things he was setting up the empire yeah but he had no money rolling in except the stuff that he was defrauding <laughs> people with like if he had like a drug empire he would have been very successful because he could have funneled money all these different places he just didn't have the income maybe he just thought that if he had enough companies investing in other companies eventually he'd make a circle where like no taxes ever had to be paid <laughs> yeah, m- money never entered or left it just kept circulating yeah maybe and then there's a couple of stories from the book that consider this a commercial for the book because it's it's so good. So there's a whole section about Lou's 50th birthday, which is this huge like blowout. And he had recently signed Hulk Hogan's daughter to be an artist for Transcontinental. Um, mm. And she sang Lou Happy Birthday like Marilyn Monroe did for JFK mm-hmm. in that like mm-hmm. awkward video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then she awkwardly did a homage to that for Lou yes. Perlman. Uh, you you want to know what's worse? Is yeah, Hulk Hogan worse. was there uh-huh. watching his daughter do that. Yeah. And it's Hulk Hogan. So I would be terrified that the Hulkamania would run wild on me. Yeah, you don't want the you don't want the Hulkamania to go wild on you. Have you ever seen uh No Holds Barred? <laughs> <laughs> another great movie. Another great, so bad it's good movie. Check out yeah. No Holds Barred. It's so good it's good. Lou also bought out a talent agency that was being actively investigated by the FBI for fraud. Don't know why. No one does. They're like, hey, uh, why did Lou do this? And they're like, yeah, we never really figured out why he thought that'd be a good idea. <laughs> and basically the in, the like uh, executive team of this, of this company that he inherited basically was the Legion of Doom of fraudsters. Like every single one of them had been investigated for fraud. And like some of them were even told like, Hey, you can't serve on the executive board of any company ever again. And they did it anyway. It was yeah. why Lou decided to get into that business is mind blowing. Um, but again, there was too much to cover. So I ended up cutting it again, do your own research, check out the book. It's got a, a lot of good information about it. 
while Lou is in jail, uh, again, this is a little bit of that conspiracy stuff that I said, like, there's a lot of it, but, you know, we're not going to talk about it. He claimed there was a secret server that he could only would only respond to his thumbprint. He was like, look, you got to get me out of jail. There's this server out there that's got all the information I need, but I got to get out of jail first. Uh, and basically he said, like... I can't show you where it is. I need to be in privacy to use my thumbs. And he had this whole elaborate story. He was like, yeah, the guy who built the building, he made this secret server that tracked all the computers in the... It doesn't even make sense. He was like, yeah, all the computers fed into the server and it tracked all the information. And if you let me out... There's ties to Al-Qaeda and the, the mayor of Orlando. And like this, this, this runs all the way to the top. And like, I'm not the guy you want. And like, it's, it's crazy. And, and, I, and only my thumbprint. If you have my thumbprint. It was, and this it was, is what QAnon believes? Yes, yes. This was the start of QAnon. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Uh, a pizzeria. Um, so... Um, speaking of uh, uh, QAnon and a pizzeria, uh, we do need to at least address the allegations that Lou was um, diddling, I guess is the best word. Hey, he was a diddler? He, yeah. So I He mean, put look, himself he, in a position, like, the only other thing he could have done was become, like, a Catholic priest. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a ton of allegations. And that's not against Catholic priests, I'm just saying as far as stereotypes go. Right, yeah. That's, yeah. So, no one has ever come out and definitively said that, like, Lou touched them. Well, so they would be like, yeah, Lou would just, like, obviously, just take off your shirts, boys. I want to see them abs. And they would yeah. they would be like, yeah, and he would, like, just come up and, like, give you a back rub. And, like, everyone said, like, never be alone with Lou. Like, you do not want to be alone with Lou. Yeah. Now, you can check out Rich Cronin did a uh, interview with Howard Stern. Rich Cronin from LFO did an interview with Howard Stern that's really good if it wasn't on Howard Stern. Howard Stern is the worst interviewer because he keeps getting to like weird stuff. Like he he asks He's weird like, questions. Yeah, and I'm but like, what do you think about this topless girl that I have in the no, studio? Seriously, like so Rich Cronin yeah. dated Jennifer Love Hewitt and he kept going back to like, so did you bone her? And I'm like, stop. Like I want to hear about the Lou Perlman stuff. He's like, oh yeah, but what about Jennifer Love Hewitt? And I'm like, stop. Stop it. I just want to hear yeah, the stuff about yeah. Lou. Howard Stern is disgusting. He's awful. So anyway, yeah. uh, skip over Howard Stern's bits. So yeah, check out Rich Cronin's thing on Howard Stern. He says a lot of things that I don't want to say on here, um, but it's it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and just, yeah, like I said, Howard Stern's a disgusting man, but um, the, the, the Lou Perlman stuff's neat. Yeah, so Lou Perlman is, uh, has a lot of allegations, nothing that's proven or that anyone wants to say definitively that happened, Right. but I, I would be a bad person to not at least bring it up because there's a lot of, uh, allegations. Yeah. Um, but, but again, like Aaron Carter definitively like comes out and says like, no, nothing ever happened. Like if something were to have happened, like yeah. Aaron Carter is also in a weird place in his life. Um, is that's he? the best way to say it. I haven't heard about him in a long time. He apparently, yeah, he's not doing good. Okay. He's unhinged in the, in the documentary, but he, he definitively says like, Hey, uh, if something happened, like I wouldn't have been a part of it. Like, I don't know. It's again, it's all no one ever diddled me. Exactly. And, and I was a beautiful young boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want that cut. Um, I want all of this cut. I don't want to say any of this. Just cut the episode. Just actually. cut the We're... whole episode. I don't want any of this. Uh, so, <laughs> I'll right. send the files to you, Colin, and you just delete them. All right. So uh, lastly, I just want to give one more shout out to the, to the book and the documentary. Uh, there's so much that I wanted to cover that I cut. Um, the story goes way deeper, um, but it's, 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 they're both really great. So check them both out. Uh, and check out Longshot while you're at it. The movie's awful, and it's just fantastic. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's about all I got. Cayman, you want to tell the people where they can find us? Yeah, so uh, go to Instagram. Give us a follow uh, at I really wish you hadn't is our handle. Be sure to, you know, check out all of our episodes. Go on all your favorite podcast services. We should be on all of them. Subscribe us, rate us, recommend us to your friends, family, former lovers, dogs, whatever. Whoever wants to listen to us. Boy bands. Yeah. And uh, of course, if you have any questions or any topics that you want us to cover, uh, any comments for us, shoot us an email at podcast at I really wish you hadn't.com. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Cayman McMahon, along with Michael Bentley, and we are produced by Colin Moore. Intro music by Attack Story, outro music by Home. Interested in getting invested with I Really Wish You Hadn't? As a subscriber on one of our platforms, you are unique position to get invested in our ISAs, where you don't, we have the teller, we paid the teller fee already, it's completely legit, don't worry about it, just go ahead and sign that. Yeah, it's backed, it's backed by the FDIC. Yeah, it's backed by the FDIC. (laughs) Also, take those shirts off, boys. I want to see them abs. (laughs) Just come talk to Big Papa. I'm the money man. (laughs) You're going to need to talk to the money man. (laughs) Until next time, don't do anything Michael wouldn't do.